What's up, Tiaholics? Welcome back to the Tea on Crime. It's your host, Britt. And I'm the co-host, Jessica, wife and true crime skeptic. Just as a reminder before we get started, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply our own and are only presented to educate. We've linked the case sources in the episode notes below. Hold on real quick, you guys. We're jumping into an ad. This week, I'm telling you the story of Lori Hacking, and this is episode 16. I want to give a trigger warning before we start that this episode has horrible acts that took place. Some people might find this disturbing, and as always, please take care while listening. I want everyone to take a minute and think about the person that they love most in the world and trust with their absolute life. I'm looking at you. Okay. (laughs) Now, imagine finding out that that person is a liar and a killer. You know, I could believe the, uh, not the liar part with you, but the killer part because you're crazy. Wow. Lori was born on December 31st, 1976 in Los Angeles, California, and was immediately placed into the foster system. Not long after her birth, she was adopted by parents Thelma and Harold Soares, who had another child named Paul. Harold worked as a high school teacher in California. Right away, her new family adored her. She was a beautiful baby with dark brunette curls for days, and she was a very loving baby. She was raised in Fulterton, California. Her family was Mormon, also known as Latter-day Saints. Fulterton or Fullerton? (laughs) Fullerton. Thank you so much. All you Californians. (laughs) So she was raised in Fullerton, California. Words are hard. Her family was, oh, her family was Mormon. Okay. Her parents ended up getting a divorce in 1987, right before Lori was going to start junior high, and she ended up moving to Orem, Utah with her mother, which is 45 minutes south of Salt Lake City. I love it that people outside of Utah do not know where any of the other cities are, but you say, I live in Salt Lake City. And then everybody's like, oh, okay, I know where that is. (laughs) Lori started her new school and made so many friends. She was elected class president, and once she went on to attend Orem High School, she met a man named Mark Hacking. During a road trip with friends to Lake Powell, Mark burnt his hand during a bonfire, and Lori stayed up with him all night to help clean and patch his hand up. That was how they started talking and really got to know each other. After this lake trip, they really started to have feelings for each other. Lori came home from Lake Powell and told all of her friends and her mother about her huge crush on Mark. The two officially began dating, and in 1995, when the couple graduated high school, Lori went on to attend Weber State University. Weber State. Weber State. Great, great, great. (laughs) So for those who don't know, we are from Utah. This is our first Utah case, and Jessica attended Weber State University. I was in the student (laughs) government and lacrosse team. She was granted a scholarship for her first year. After she completed her year at Weber State, she transferred to the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. Lori excelled in college. She was an overachiever. She was given a President's Award during her time at the University of Utah for her excellence in education. She graduated with a bachelor's degree in business management in 1999. Go Lori! Very smart lady. Fun fact about Brittany, she's a Utahn And in Utah, you're either a BYU fan or a U of U fan. And Brittany, embarrassingly enough, is neither. No, I'm not. Go Oregon Ducks. It's gross. (laughs) 
That same year, three months before her graduation in 1999, at the age of 22, Lori married her high school sweetheart, Mark Hacking. Since they were part of the LDS religion, they were married at the Bountiful Utah LDS Temple, where they were sealed for time and eternity to each other. Is this the temple that's on the hill? Yes, it is. Oh, nice. It's a very beautiful temple. Lori started working for a short time at American Express, but quickly switched jobs to work as a stockbroker's assistant in Salt Lake City for Wells Fargo. Mark also graduated from the University of Utah, but he wanted to pursue further education because he was interested in going to medical school. He wanted to become an oncologist. Interesting. Mark had always been interested in medicine. And during his time in college, he worked in the children's psychiatric unit at the hospital. Mark got accepted to medical school at the University of Medicine of North Chapel Hill. Mark wanted Lori to pack up and make the cross-country adventure, to which Lori agreed because they had a very happy marriage and everything seemed perfect. During this time, it was 2004, Mark was 28 and Lori was 27. Oh, okay. So this was early 2000s. Yes. All right. Prior to planning for their move in the fall, Lori found out that she was five weeks pregnant. Lori was so excited and Mark was too. He loved kids and he was great with them. Some of his old co-workers at the hospital said he loved entertaining the kids at the hospital. Since Mark was focusing on school... He had jobs here and there, but they were mostly part-time. Lori was supporting them, and Lori was the one that had the career at the time. Lori had to quit her job at Wells Fargo since the couple would soon be moving from Mark's schooling. In July of 2004, Lori gave her notice, and while everyone was sad to see her go, everyone was so excited for Lori to make this move with her family and that she was going to be a new mom because everyone just knew she'd be a great mom. Prior to her leaving, Wells Fargo on a Friday night on July 16th, her co-workers threw a huge going away party. While Lori was in attendance at this party, she received a phone call from someone. Her co-worker said that Lori was really upset after receiving this call. She hung up crying, and when everyone asked her if she was okay, she said she was, but she was going to leave the party early. No one really wanted to push the issue, but one coworker did later report that prior to Lori receiving the phone call, she had noticed that Lori was on the website for the University of Chapel Hill. And that's where he attended school, right? That's where he got accepted to medical school and they were going to be moving for his schooling. Okay. That same night, Lori went to another going away party that a different coworker was having for her up at their cabin, but this time Lori took Mark. Everyone reported that Lori seemed to be in a great mood and didn't act like anything was bothering her. No one even thought about the call that had taken place earlier. Two days later, on Sunday, July 18th, Mark and Lori attended a housewarming party for one of their close friends, and Lori seemed to be in a great mood. She never acted like anything was wrong this day either. She was seen to be very optimistic and was telling everyone that she was getting really excited for their move, which was in about three weeks in early August. That following morning, on July 19th, at 10.04 in the morning, Mark called police to report his wife missing. He informed the police that earlier that morning, his wife went for a jog, but never returned. Interesting. He told the 911 operator that since he is familiar with the route that his wife would always jog, he went out that morning and ran the same route twice just to make sure Lori wasn't still out there, but he was not able to locate her. Lori also didn't show up for work this day. Before Mark called the police, he called Lori's friends first thing that morning to see if anyone had seen her because Mark didn't feel right about the situation 
and thought something might be wrong since Lori hadn't returned from her job. Mark waited 50 minutes to call the police. The police started to get worried that she had been abducted during her morning jog since she never returned and since she never showed up to work. The police started by searching the couple's apartment in Salt Lake City with Mark's permission. While conducting their search, the police noticed Lori's purse inside the apartment. Lori had gone for a jog that morning and took her car with her because it was a little drive from the apartment. The lead investigator on the case was a woman. Her name is Kelly Kent, and she thought the purse being left behind was strange. Mm -hmm. Of course, most people don't go for a jog and take their bag with them. She had to drive her car. Exactly. But because she had to drive her car to get where she was going for a run, you would assume she would have taken her purse with her. But the really strange part, her car keys were inside her purse, but her car wasn't at the apartment. Oh, Mark. Mark, Mark, Mark. Rookie mistake. A witness came forward and said that she saw a woman that matched Lori's description that morning around 6 a.m. stretching at Memory Grove Park. That made police feel like she had been abducted during her run. But later, the witness confirmed that she only saw this woman from behind, so she couldn't know for sure if it was Lori since she didn't see her from the front. So police go back to wondering if she ever really showed up for her jog that morning. During the search of the apartment, investigator Kelly Kent happened to notice a huge bouquet of flowers. She questioned this because the time frame was not around any birthdays or anniversaries, so she began to wonder why the flowers could be there. She felt like Mark must have messed up and bought flowers and tried to fix it with a gift. But I want to say that I don't totally agree with that statement because I don't think there always needs to be a special occasion for someone to get flowers our so what she's talking about everybody is in our relationship we believe that you don't wait for a special day or anniversary to do something special for either of us we choose to live that motto every single day um just because we both like to have the other one know that they are valued and appreciated and that we're thinking of them. I know it's cute and romantic, but Brittany, not everybody else is this. Most (laughs) relationships are, in fact, they only do these things on anniversaries. Well, and I also feel like, you know, the purse aspect and the flower aspect, it's because it was a woman lead investigator. Had it been a man, I don't know that they would have focused on, oh, there's flowers here. Like, I really think it's because it was a woman that was noticing these things you know i don't i don't fully support that no one that's a sexist statement number two i think that if that i think the men would have noticed because men when you mess up in your relationships or you're in the doghouse what do you do you send flowers to your (laughs) wife i guess that's true you're right I take back my statement. Your sexist statement. (laughs) But Kelly found a letter that was sitting on a shelf in their bedroom that Lori had written Mark. The letter was typed out. It said, quote, I hate coming home from work because it hurts to be in our apartment. I can't imagine life with you if things don't change. I want to grow old with you, but I can't under these conditions, end quote. The letter was not dated, so no one can know for sure where it came from or when it took place. During the search, police 
stated that the apartment was messy, everything was everywhere. But this makes sense because they were in the process of moving. They had half-packed boxes all around the apartment, but next to where the letter was located, they found a blood-stained hunting knife in a dresser drawer. Officers also found a pillow that had a brown stain that appeared to have been cleaned recently in the dumpster behind the couple's apartment. Inside the apartment, they also took a piece of blood-stained carpet. Mark, what is happening? <laughs> My God. It's just, we go back to it. We go back to it every single case. Rookie mistakes. It's almost like people want to get caught or are people really that stupid? I don't no, know. No, they're clearly that stupid. Obviously, Mark, have more dignity in yourself. If you're going to kill your wife, do it right. So with Lori missing, the letter located, the blood-stained carpet, the stain on the pillow, Lori's car keys found located in her purse, and a smell of bleach coming from a bathroom that appeared very clean. <laughs> Police were certain it looked like Lori had been killed. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. I'm not laughing at the death. I'm laughing at Mark, you're a moron. We're laughing at the stupidity. When you willingly let them search your apartment, knowing yes. that all of these things were in there, so you wouldn't look guilty, and then you clearly are guilty. Well, and that's the thing is, police didn't have a warrant. They didn't have a warrant for any of this, but he just so willingly was like, yeah, come inside, it's fine. So maybe he did want to get caught. Maybe he just was that stupid. Oh, but he killed her and she was pregnant. We'll get there. That's sad. You're jumping to conclusions. Oh, I'm sure he killed her. Police asked Mark if they could search his car, to which he agreed. Inside his car, the police found a receipt. It showed that 25 minutes prior to Mark calling the police, he purchased a new queen-size mattress. Random. <laughs> Why are you buying a mattress if you are wondering where your wife is? Police started to search the dumpster behind the apartment. They were able to locate the packaging from the new mattress, but they did not find an old mattress. Mark was confronted about this, and Mark said he threw away the old mattress because Lori bled on it the night before from her period. But remember, Lori is five weeks pregnant. He's such an idiot. She wouldn't have had a period. Yeah, she would have had a... If she was bleeding, it would have been she was miscarrying. At this point... Police knew Mark was hiding something, oh, obviously. At this, at this point, because everything else wasn't a good indicator. It also doesn't seem to make any logical sense to buy a new mattress when you're about to move cross-country. Why wouldn't you have just waited? Maybe he did. There was a sale. <laughs> and on the morning that your wife is missing, why is that the morning that you're going to purchase a new mattress? Again, sales only last so long, Brittany. <laughs> Again, none of this makes sense. <laughs> Kelly Kent and police become determined to find the old mattress and see what was really happening. They searched dumpsters everywhere around the apartment complex, but no luck. They also searched dumpsters of places that Mark would frequent. They decided that they were going to check the dumpster that is behind his LDS church, and bingo, they found it. There was the mattress. But it wasn't only a mattress that they found. They found the mattress topper with it, but it was cut up. The top layer was cut out, basically like a square. The top of the mattress was also missing along with the topper, but again, just a square. Police believed the bloody knife that was found in the apartment was the same knife used to cut the squares out of both the topper and the mattress. Are you okay over there? You look a I little stressed. I just don't... I'm why would again you know i just well and maybe putting it in the church parking lot he really just believed that they weren't going to locate it 
I mean, that's that's fine. They wouldn't have if he had thrown the receipt and all the mattress, like, belongings, the packaging, as well as the knife. It all could have gone in the dumpster and none of this would have happened. Maybe people get so caught up in the moment that he wasn't thinking through, like, oh, they're going to look in my car and they're going to see this piece of paper and they're going to look at it. Or again, maybe he really is that stupid. Lori's family and friends were out looking for Lori. Lori's family was really supportive of Mark during this time because they didn't believe he would do anything to harm her. The police were able to locate Lori's car at the Memory Grove Park. So this really is where the search for Lori began. So her car made it to the jogging route, but did Lori. Once inside the car, it revealed that her driver's side seat and the mirrors were adjusted and it appeared it would have been done for someone that was much taller. Let's see, this would be a you thing. What do you mean? If you were to murder me and you were to do this, you would take my car and you would drive it there. And then you, I know for sure, wouldn't have thought about, oh, I'm significantly shorter than Jessica. I need to move the seat back. <laughs> While the investigators were in the backseat of Lori's car, they found small traces of blood. They sent these in for testing with the mattress, the carpet, and now all of these samples came back from the lab. They did reveal that they were a match for Lori hacking. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. During interviews with Lori's co-workers, this is when it was revealed about the phone call that took place the night of Lori's going away party that left Lori very upset. Police were also able to trace the call and discovered that the call came from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, which remember is the school that Mark was supposed to be attending in the fall. The school was returning Lori's call that night. The phone call would reveal to Lori that Mark was never accepted to their medical program and that he actually never even applied. Oh. The reason that Lori reached out to them in the first place was because she was asking about financial aid as well as any housing options for the students so that when Lori and Mark first arrived at town, they would have somewhere to stay until they could settle in. So, of course, the school was really confused by Lori's call since they had no student under this information. But as you can imagine, the confusion that was caused by this call, Lori was starting to realize it was all a lie. Can you imagine getting you, you have a very confused look on your face right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm just, so if he, yes, I'm very confused because in my mind, if you never applied and you were never accepted, why are you telling this lie? Because to me, that leads back to this was all premeditated very poorly, mm -hmm. I might add. You did a really crap job right? premeditating this murder if this was your goal all along. And is it because that she was pregnant? Mm -hmm. I, it just, it doesn't add up to me. It doesn't make sense. It's very strange. Right. Well, and can you imagine being Lori and you're getting this phone call after you just quit your job at Wells Fargo that you're basically the main provider for your family and you're about to move cross country. Your apartment is basically all packed up. What was your plan when you got there? I'm just confused why this was a plan to begin with in his mind, I guess. Well, and we're... Were they ever going to get there? Was his was this the plan all along? Was it Lori was going to be killed? Or were you really going to show up and just pretend to be going to school? There's a lot of questions. Do we not know the answers to these questions? We're getting there. I'm oh, just okay. trying to lead you up, you know? Oh, okay. I'm just making sure that you're not going to, like, <laughs> drop me off a cliff. Well, see, I've heard this before, and I, you haven't, and this is very exciting because you're a first-time Lori hacking, you know, story listener. So I'm just trying to lead you up with all these questions because... 
was he really that stupid? I don't know. Listen, everybody always gets confused how I don't know about any of these things. Uh, I was going to college during this time and I had my own life going on. And also with Utah cases, what is their name? The most recent big disappearance. What was her name? Uh, Gabby, Gabby. Petito. Yes, I don't, I don't know a lot about that case either. Well, we know you don't like true crime. I don't. Upon discovering all of this, police decided that the typed up letter was probably done by Lori after finding out this information. Police were also able to learn that Mark never even graduated with a bachelor's degree. In fact, he didn't graduate at all. So how did he explain not having a graduation from the same college that Lori did? I guess I'm confused why she typed up the letter. I was really confused by that as well. So the police are convinced that the letter did come from Lori, but remember, it doesn't have a date. It's not signed. It was just randomly placed in the apartment. Don't you think that she would have handwritten the letter? Because you can't prove that she's the one that typed the letter. Yeah, I just, that doesn't sound very believable i guess right typing up i don't know i felt it's, the same way it's 2004 and i mean people do digital things all the time i maybe we're just old-fashioned <laughs> and we do handwritten notes i don't know so everything really was a lie when he was attending college at the university of utah he waited for lori to also leave the house and head to her classes and he would head back to their apartment and play video games all day until she returned he never attended the college at all. He was living a huge lie. So essentially, Mark, you're this big zero and you've been living off of your wife this entire... Wow. Well, and the thing to me that really got me the most, well, one of the things I should say is they both went to the university, air quotes, they both went to the University of Utah, right? Lori had a graduation ceremony from the University of Utah. So how did Mark explain graduating with his bachelor's degree from the same college, but never having, like, I guess I just would wonder what well, was going on in her mind. You have a choice well, to attend or not. And I understand. I just, again, I'm wondering what was going on in her mind. Maybe he was just one of those people that just said, you know what, I graduated graduated it's not a big deal I don't I don't like attention I don't want to make a big deal out of it right let's just move on the day after Lori's disappearance her family held a press conference asking for the safe return of their daughter two days into Lori missing her family had already covered all of Salt Lake City with so many missing posters with Lori's face all over them later that evening still on the second day of Lori missing, someone had called police to report that they saw a man running around naked outside of a downtown motel. The description matched that of Mark hacking. On earth? <laughs> Mark was begging police to take him to a mental hospital because he was, quote, having a mental breakdown. Police didn't buy it because they noticed that even though he was naked, he was wearing sandals. And to police, this meant that he was in his right mind enough to put on shoes before running outside naked. <laughs> Mark, so many mistakes, Mark. But you know what? He sure remembered those sandals. Police took him to the hospital and Mark's family was by his side during his stay. A few days later, on July 24th, police let Mark's family know 
that he had been lying about everything. His siblings decided that they had quite a few questions for him. All of his siblings went to the hospital and Mark Hacking confessed something huge to his brothers. He explained that the night before her disappearance, Mark and Lori got into a huge fight about Mark's lies since she confronted him. Lori went to bed before Mark and he was so upset about her finding out all the lies he had told that he grabbed his rifle and shot Lori in their bed. This would explain why the mattress had to be removed. Police had found blood on the carpet like I stated earlier. Is the blood spatter? Yep, but also on their headboard and wall behind the bed and the bedpost. Oh my god, my question is, was it just one shot? Yep. Wow, that's so... Oh, it escalated so quick. Can you imagine? Well, I, I mean, I'm sure you can imagine being that upset and murdering me. Would you stop it? You make it sound like I'm insane. I would never do that. Uh... Wow. <laughs> I'm just kind of. Mark's brothers were stunned and told Mark that he needed to confess to police. Days before his confession, police found out more information. Police decided they were going to check the dumpster where Mark worked. So at the hospital. Okay. So... Remember, the dumpster behind his church is where his mattress was located. They decided they needed to look in the dumpster behind his work at the hospital, but the dumpster had since picked up the trash. They looked at all 16 security cameras at the hospital to see if they could see anyone dumping trash into the dumpsters, and lo and behold, after hours upon reviewing the tapes, they were able to see a shadow of a person dumping a body into the dumpster. Mark, I don't understand you. They couldn't tell for sure who the person was since it was dark and they were not able to make out the face but they fully believed it was mark hacking dumping the body of his wife lori into the trash how sad can you imagine spending all these years and supposedly having all this love for somebody in your significant other and then literally just throwing them away like a piece of garbage that's just it's horrible isn't it it's really sad to me in another video where Lori's car was left, there was a video of a man that looked exactly like Mark driving Lori's car to the entrance of the park. Since the trash had been picked up from outside the hospital, Lori's body was not located in the dumpster. The police had to go to the landfill and search for her body. During this time, Mark's brothers went to police and told them the confession that Mark had told them about killing Lori. Police arrested Mark on August 2nd, 2004, two weeks after Lori's disappearance. His bail was set at $1 million. He was accused of shooting Lori in the head while she slept and dumping her body in the dumpsters behind his work. Mark announced that he was going to write a book, quote, about everything and that all the money he made would go to donations for Lori. What the hell? Can you can you imagine being her family and that's what you're gonna say? That made me so angry when I was writing that. I guess I'm still very confused about all of this. So he lied about everything. He played video games from the very beginning. She was the breadwinner. She paid for everything. So the lie about him graduating and being accepted in school and moving to North Carolina. North Carolina. Yes. This must have been his plan all along is to kill Lori, right? right? And even did she have life insurance that he was just gonna live off of? Because he I don't didn't know, have but that, going yeah, for he himself. had nothing going for himself. But that's a really good question because that would kind of make sense as to why he decided, hey, maybe I could say my wife was abducted and you know, get her life insurance. But I don't know if in his mind he really thought he was going to get away with it. I think he did. But I do have to tell you, 
I, I know you'll find this as funny as I did. So some of Mark's brothers are actually doctors. So him being interested in the medical field is because his family is in the medical field. So one of his friends later reported that he did not know how to spell oncologist. He wanted to be an oncologist, but apparently he had no idea how to spell oncologist. Uh, a lot of doctors don't know how to spell a lot of things. They have very sloppy handwriting as well. So I mean, I, that is, that's fine. Well, I guess I found it funnier than you did. Once Lori's family found out that Mark had done this, they clearly stopped supporting him and realized how terrible he was. Everything came crumbling down at this point. Even though police didn't have her body, they did everything they could to find her. They went daily to search for her. So remember, it's also the summertime and the landfills are hot. Uh, Please tell me they Did they find her? We'll get there. And we have nasty hot trash to search through. On October 4th, 2004, two months after she had been missing, they found her body at the Salt Lake County landfill. One officer had been using his hands to search through the trash. He grabbed a pile and realized he had hair in his hands. In that bag that he had been looking through, he located hair, a jawbone, and teeth. They were quickly able to determine that they were a match to Lori Hacking. They were not able to recover the murder weapon, which was a 22 rifle, but what they did find was enough. So I'm confused. They didn't find the entire body. They just found... The job, oh, because the body had decomposed at this point. Yeah, because it had been months. And you have Utah heat and how... Oh, this was early 2000s. Yeah, who knows how much garbage. I would assume a lot in a landfill because, I mean, they're dumping there every single day. Utah's really bad about recycling, so yeah. Mark Hacking pled not guilty. (laughs) What? Oh, Mark. One year later, in April 2005, Mark Hacking stood in front of a third district judge and finally pled guilty, but this was only so he could avoid the death penalty. He was found guilty, but he was only sentenced to six years to life in prison. The parole board had no intentions of allowing him to get out after six years, but this was the law in place in the state of Utah at the time, and that was the maximum that could be given. Has this changed? I believe it has since changed. Mark's final words to the court were, quote, I killed her and my unborn child and put them in the trash. I can't explain why I did it, but I know I wasn't myself that night, end quote. Mark Hacking will be considered for parole in 2039 when he is the age of 59. When Lori's family found out that Mark was the person behind her death, they removed the name Hacking from her headstone. Good. That's the story of Lori Hacking. What did you think? So 2030, he's not far away from being considered for parole. He's not, but they did say that they had, the parole board has already stated from the very beginning, they have no intentions of letting him out. But I mean, that could change. I don't know. The parole board, I'm a, this was almost 20 years ago. So the parole board is completely different. Right. Now, with different individuals. Well, and you know, he might be a stand-up prisoner he might get out on good behavior I don't know but the fact that that was the law at the time that you could kill your wife and your unborn child and six years to life was the maximum because so many people get out on good behavior how sad thanks Uh, for letting me tell you that story that was our first Utah case that we've done it makes me sad it's really sad yeah there's are there very many serial killer stories in Utah? You know, unfortunately with Utah, it basically comes down to the husband killing the wife. It's always a spouse That's thing. That's right. Because the one, wasn't it the Powell case? 
right? Yes. What was the Susan one? Susan and Josh Powell. Yes. I don't know the particulars of that one, but I know the, the general. And then wasn't the one that put his, was it wife in the place that he worked? That is from Colorado. Oh, I thought it was a Utah case. Yep. That's a Colorado case. And then you have the Gabby Petito case that I just know she went missing and then what's-his-face killed himself and blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. Are you ready for some tea? Uh, You know, after this story, I hope it's a funny one. (laughs) Aiden Juarez Ramirez had it all figured out. He could be a cop without having to take the boring test. But he was arrested in Grapevine, Texas, after he pulled over a driver in his pickup truck, outfitted with flashing lights. He even had an ID badge, which he had made himself by blacking out a restaurant gift card and etching in the word police. Did you know that it's a federal offense to impersonate a police officer? I did. However, he'd kept the restaurant's logo, (laughs) a jalapeno pepper, surrounded by the words Chipotle Mexican Grill. (laughs) Wow. Oh, every week. Dumber and dumber. Oh, stupid people. They're just everywhere. That's that's terrible. This poor man. (laughs) All right, well, Hopefully, this will make people laugh after this sad, sad story. Are you ready? I'm ready. Why do seagulls fly over the ocean? Why? Because if they flew over the bay, we'd call them bagels. (laughs) You're welcome. That one was great. Before we end this episode, we wanted to announce that our podcast, The Tea on Crime, has now joined Patreon. For those of you that aren't familiar with what that is, It is a monthly subscription page platform that will be ad-free with bonus episodes that are exclusive only to our Patreon listeners. So head on over to our page at patreon.com slash tea on crime to hear more tea being spilled. We're really excited to provide you with bonus content. And then as always, everybody, we really appreciate your support. That's it for today's episode. For all of our teaaholics that enjoyed our show today, Please remember to go and rate the show on whatever platform you are listening to. Give us a follow on Facebook at Tea on Crime Podcast, Instagram at Tea on Crime Podcast, Twitter at Tea on Crime Pod, and TikTok at Tea on Crime Podcast. I'm your host, Britt. And I'm your co-host, Jessica. And we will be back next week to serve you more tea on all things true crime. Bye!